Welcome, welcome, welcome back to your weekly neighborhood watch meeting. I am your host, Ebony D, your neighborhood DMP. On this podcast, we discuss all things healthcare, with the number one plan being to put things in a way that anyone can understand. Thank you for joining me for the new year. It's such a pleasure to have you guys back and listening. Um, I hope you guys had an amazing holiday season and a, a holiday season. I'm sorry, and a very blessed, happy new year. Um, so if you're not familiar with the podcast, um, or if you're new to the podcast or have been a previous listener, um, I wanted to kind of just break down the show's segments for you guys. Normally we have the podcast to be broken down into three different components. Normally it's Ebony's Epiphany, where we discuss certain things that we may be seeing in healthcare trends or certain things based on my experiences in healthcare or just different topics that I feel may need to be brought to the light from the healthcare perspective. And then our next segment is our weekly wellness wisdom where we kind of discuss some tips um, or some gems or jewels to kind of help us navigate through the healthcare system. And then last but certainly not least, we have our what they want to know segment where we discuss uh, questions and answers that I may have received on one of my social media platforms or via email. So that's just a brief overview of how the podcast normally goes. Again, sometimes I fly by the seam of my pants and we just, you know, go in the direction that we're led. Um, So for this episode, I wanted to talk about um, blood donations. So January is our National Blood Donors Month. Um, So on today's episodes, I wanted to discuss um, different facts about blood donation and kind of dispel some of the myths that as a healthcare provider and as a nurse previously that I would hear um, spoken within our community that, you know, maybe made people scared to donate blood. But I can tell you that blood donations are very needed. Currently, um, working in a hematology oncology setting, I can tell you that blood donation shortages are at an all time high due to the pandemic. So I felt like some of these things are very important to bring to light and hopefully it may encourage someone to think um, about getting blood donations or at least taking the next steps to maybe talking to a healthcare provider or your local blood donation center to kind of, to, uh, to kind of set up maybe an appointment for a blood donation. So for starters, I wanted to talk about some fast facts as it uh, pertains to needing blood or blood donations in the U.S. So every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs blood. Um, Number two, one in seven hospitalized patients need blood for many reasons. Some of these reasons include trauma like uh, gunshot victims or motor uh, patients that have been involved in motor vehicle accidents. Um, Postpartum hemorrhage, so after women have babies, sometimes they can have bleeding out and so blood transfusions are needed. Cancer treatments, patients with sickle cell disease, which is a bleeding, um, a disease of the blood system, as well as hemophilia, which is a bleeding disorder as well. Um, Some patients that have kidney disease, liver disease, Sometimes when babies are born prematurely, they require blood transfusions. Patients that have organ transplants uh, that are in the critical care unit or patients that under uh, un- unfortunately sustain burns also require blood transfusions. So that, that's just a couple of situations where in a hospital setting, patients need to have blood transfusions. Um, A single blood donation can save up to two or more lives um, when in need. So one 
person going to donate has the possibility to save at least two people in the world. Um, and when we talk about blood, I know one of the things that we're probably most familiar with is actually seeing the blood transfusions or what in that, what we call in the healthcare setting, red blood cell transfusion. So you see literally a bag of blood hanging, but one donation actually can have, um, the blood donation can be broken down into three different types of blood components that can be beneficial to pay, beneficial to patients in need. Um, so one component would be the red blood the red blood cells that we normally see and probably are most familiar with, either being in a hospital setting or seeing a loved one get a transfusion or on TV. These are typically given when patients um, have a low blood count or anemia. If they have surgery, they normally get a red blood cell transfusion. Um, sometimes when they are patients who have cancer, when they receive chemotherapy, because the chemotherapy is not smart enough to just wipe out the bad cells, it often will wipe out red blood cells, which require those patients to have um, blood transfusions as well. Um, and when we talk about anemia, which is the low red blood cell count. Our patients that live with sickle cell disease often suffer from this as well. So sometimes um, patients that have sickle cell disease or sickle cell anemia will um, require chronic transfusions. So they need blood um, consistently in order to help their circulatory system or the blood flowing through their body to generate oxygen to their organs. Um, so those are just some instances where you may see patients receiving the red blood cell component of, of blood donation. Another component is platelets, and these are um, a byproduct of a blood donation that helps for patients to be able to clot off. So say, for instance, you have a cut and, you know, at some point under normal circumstances, that cut may generate either a clot or a scar to kind of start the healing process. Where some patients, they have low platelets, which means that if you cut them, they may continue to bleed because they don't have the platelet count number in order to generate the clotting um, process for them. So in those type of situations, they need platelet transfusions, which again can be taken from a blood donation. Um, and then one other component that people may be familiar with would be a plasma donation. And so patients that um, have liver disease or clotting disorders may require plasma transfusions to kind of help them also be able to generate that clotting, um, um, the clotting cascade is what we call it, or if they have um, what we call protein deficiencies, um, patients like that require plasma donations as well. And so the other thing I wanted, the next fact I wanted to talk about, um, because I often hear this a lot, um, even when people are going to just get normal labs, they want to know if there's a way that we can um, find out what their blood type is. And while there is a particular um, lab, it's called a type and cross match that we can draw to determine what type of uh, blood you have, I wanted to kind of discuss the different types of blood that's out there um, and who can give. So I want to discuss the blood types, who that particular blood type can donate to and who that particular type can receive, um, what blood types that particular person can receive blood from. So the blood types are A positive, B positive, 
AB positive, AB negative, <coughs> excuse me, O negative, O positive, A negative, and B negative. So I'm going to go down the list and I'm going to try to make this make sense as much as I can without confusing anyone. So if you are someone that has an A positive blood type, you can give to a person that has an A positive or ABP, AB positive blood type. If you are someone that has the A positive, you can receive blood from someone that is A positive, A negative, O positive, or O negative. If you have an O positive blood type, you can give to patients that have O positive, A positive, B positive, and AB positive blood types. And you can only receive blood from those who are O positive or O negative. If you are a B positive blood type, you can donate blood to those who are B positive and AB positive blood types. And you can receive blood from those who are B positive, B negative, O positive, or O negative. And then if you are if you have an AB positive blood type, you can only give to those who have AB positive blood type, but you can receive blood from everyone. So we call our AB positive blood types the universal receivers. Um, then if you are someone who has an A negative blood type, you can donate to those who are A positive, A negative, AB positive, or AB negative blood types. And you can receive blood from those who are A negative and O negative. If you are an O negative blood type, you can give blood to anyone. So we call them our universal donors. So they can give blood to anybody regardless of the blood type that they have, but they can only receive blood products from someone that is O negative. Um, if you have a blood type of B negative, you can only donate blood to those who are B positive, B negative, AB positive, or AB negative. And then you can only receive blood from those who are B negative and O negative. If you are a blood type of AB negative, you can give blood or donate blood to those who are AB positive and AB negative. Um, and then you can receive blood from those who are AB negative, A negative, B negative, and O negative. So I know that's a lot of information, but one of the reasons I wanted to highlight that is because we often will get questions, um, especially in the hospital setting of, well, this is my child, can I just give can I donate my blood to them? And so there is a process that occurs where it's not as simple as just being related to someone that qualifies you to be able to donate blood to a loved one or a friend. Um, it is based on the particular type of blood that you have. So the good thing is um, healthcare providers such as physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians assistants, um, nurses, and our lab technicians ensure that the patient that is in need of the blood products receive the type that they're supposed to receive. And so again, when I referenced earlier, having a blood uh, type and cross match, that's the process where a sample of blood is drawn. And then they disc um, they run a few tests to kind of see what type that particular patient needs to receive in order for it to be a safe transfusion. Um, <coughs> excuse me. One of the other things I wanted to discuss, um, and this will go along with some of the myths I wanted to talk about soon, 
but um, each unit of donated blood is screened for over 10 viruses or diseases that can be passed through bloodstream infections. So I know that when patients are receiving blood, they can be quite nervous about whether or not they can catch a disease through you know, having blood transfusions from a different donor. And while there may be a very small possibility, there is a process that is in place to help avoid such things. Um, and there are also certain types of, uh, there are certain people that cannot donate blood because of their risk of having a blood, uh, what we call a blood-borne infection. Um, so one of the other facts I wanted to talk about is that in some states, you can be as young as 16 years of age to donate. Um, and then as we, as I was previously discussing, as far as the bloodborne infections, um, the, because of the risk of bloodborne infections, not everyone can donate blood. So the following groups, um, are not eligible to donate blood. Um, anyone who has used injected drugs, steroids, or other substances that are not prescribed by a healthcare provider within the past three months, um, men who have had sexual contact with other men in the past three months, um, anyone who has a clotting disorder, anyone who has um, had a positive test for HIV, anyone who has engaged in sex for money or drugs in the past three months, Anyone in the past 12 months who has had close contact with, lived with, or has sexual contact with someone who has viral hepatitis, um, and anyone who has had uh, babesiosis, which is a rare severe tick-borne disease, or a parasitic infection called Chagas disease, because again, this can be transmitted via blood um, blood donations or transfusions. Not donations, but transfusions, I'm sorry. So um, with that being said, how we find out this information is that it's a, it's a three-step process, right? You don't normally just walk in and just get to sit down and donate blood. There's a, um, a slew of questions that you are asked to kind of help determine whether or not you can proceed with your blood donation. Um, so wanna, I wanted to talk about the steps to donate, and then lastly, we'll discuss some of the myths that will, um, that, you know, we often hear that kind of needs to be dispelled. So with the registration, I'm sorry, with the steps to donate, the first part is registration. So um, if you're someone interested in donating, you'll sign in and then go over your basic eligibility with a representative that's at the donating center or uh, at the blood drive location. If this uh, blood donation center is hosting like a blood drive within the community. Um, you will be asked to show your ID, such as your driver's license. You will read some information about donating blood. And then you'll be asked for your complete address, um, excuse me, and the place where you will receive your mail eight weeks from the donation, just in case there's some information that you need to be notified of um, after the screening of your blood donation is completed. Um, then you will proceed to um, have a health history taken. So you'll answer a few questions about your health history, places that you may have traveled. Um, and this is normally done in a confidential and private manner so that your information is not given out freely to the public. Um, you'll tell the um, 
the screener about any prescription medications or over-the-counter medications that may be in your system. They'll check your temperature, your pulse, and your blood pressure, as well as your hemoglobin level. And so when we talk about hemoglobin level, that's just your blood count to make sure that you have enough to be able to donate. What we don't want to happen is you have those good intentions, you want to actually donate, um, and then your count is so low that we're making a deficit or taking away from you and um, putting you at risk for a medical emergency. So they will check that before they um, allow you to donate blood. So then you have the donating portion. So if you're donating whole blood, they'll cleanse the area of your arm, insert the needle for the blood draw. Um, and it kind of feels like just a quick pinch. If you've ever had labs in the past or if you had like an IV inserted, it feels similar to that depending on the size that they uh, utilize for your blood donation. Um, I will tell you that the process itself uh, normally can take anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half um, depending on the blood donating uh, center and location. Excuse me. <coughs> With um, your blood donation it itself, it can take roughly eight to 10 minutes. And during that, you'll be seated comfortably or laying down depending on um, the setup. When approximately a pint of whole blood has been collected, the donation is complete and a staff person places a bandage on your arm to prevent any bleeding. Um, they will try to make sure that you eat and drink and hydrate before you leave. So that you'll have a snack or something to drink in the refreshment area. And then you'll typically leave 10 to 15 minutes after um, and continue like your normal routine. So you don't have to like go home and be, you know, on bed rest for the rest of the day if that's a concern. However, I will encourage you to listen to your body. So if you are feeling weird or you're feeling like you're not 100 percent after your donation, one thing that we encourage you to do is to drink a lot of water because if you think about it, we've removed a certain amount from you. So you want to make sure that you're replacing that with like oral um, hydration, such as water and vitamin water or electrolytes. Um, and that's pretty much the recovery component of the blood donation um, aspect. So one of the other things um, I wanted to discuss, as I mentioned before, is some of the myths that either I've heard, that other colleagues have heard, or that maybe we've seen, you know, on social media that maybe prevent people from donating. And I can tell you that um, donations are so, so, so needed. So, so, so needed. Um, I think we took a really bad hit with blood donations in the pandemic because people were fearful of maybe contracting viruses through blood donations. However, um, with the technique that's utilized for the blood donation component, that contracting viruses through the donation process itself is rare. And then as previously discussed, even being the patient that is receiving the blood transfusion, there are there is a screening process after the donated blood has been taken and collected that the um, that it must go through in order to screen for certain diseases such as um, hepatitis, HIV. Um, there's over 10 different viruses to name that, you know, the donation is screened for prior to it being allowed to be donated or transfused into someone else. I'm sorry. Um, so let's go ahead and talk about the myths. Um, one of the number one myths is that it takes a long time to donate blood. 
as previous stated, it normally takes roughly an hour to an hour and a half, and that's with all steps included. So the registration, the health check, the donation itself, and then the recovery process. Um, myth number two, it will hurt to donate blood. Again, only for a brief moment, which is like the insertion of the needle itself. So if you've ever had lab work, the needle for the blood donation may be a little bit bigger than that, um, depending on what was used for your previous lab work. So it should not be painful during the entire process, just the initial poke um, where they have to access your vein in order to get the blood out of your body. Um, myth number three, if I have a tattoo, um, I can't donate blood. So in some states, majority of the states, honestly, you may give blood immediately after getting a tattoo if you got it in a shop that is state regulated. So not in the basement of someone's house, but a state regulated um tattoo shop because they have certain criteria that they have to pass as far as sterility and making sure that the um, tattoos that they are given are sterile or clean and free from risk of bloodborne infections. Um, but I will tell you, if that is not the case, you will have to wait 12 months to donate blood. And in some states, regardless um, of it being in a state regulated shop or not, you have to wait 12 months. And those states are Idaho, Georgia, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New York, Pennsylvania, Utah, Wyoming, or the District of Columbia. So if you reside in any of those states, you do have to wait at least 12 months after receiving a tattoo, regardless of the type of area you received it in, before you can donate. So the next myth, myth number four, is I don't have a rare blood type, so my blood donation isn't really needed. That is the farthest thing from the truth that I have heard um, as far as that's concerned. We need blood from everybody that is willing to donate. And as I stated before, regardless of your blood type, we have a process in place or the blood donation centers and lab and blood banks have a process in place where they can determine where your blood can go. But trust me, it can go to someone. You don't have to have a rare blood type to donate and we need as many donations as possible. Um, myth number five is that I'm too old to donate. There is no maximum age limit for donating blood. Um, again, you go through a screening process to make sure that it's safe for you to donate blood, but there is not a maximum cutoff if you're able, if you are interested in donating blood. Um, myth number six is I'm on medication, so I can't give blood. So the medication itself would not disqualify you from donating blood, but maybe the reason you're on the medication may, you know, count you out from being, from being able to donate blood. But again, that's the reason why we have that health history component where we ask a number of questions to make sure that you can proceed with donating blood. So just because you're on medication does not mean that you cannot donate blood. So I do encourage you to, you know, talk to your healthcare provider or call your local um, blood donation center if you have questions regarding some of the medications you may be on or maybe some of the um what we call comorbidities or disease processes that you're being treated for, if that's a concern for you in terms of donating blood. Um, myth number seven, speaking of comorbidities, um, I have high blood pressure, so it's too dangerous for me to donate blood. Now, I encourage you to keep your blood pressure under control for safety reasons for yourself um, as well. But one of the things that I'll let you know is that as long as your blood pressure is below 180 over 100, you can donate blood again. This will be checked 
when you come to donate blood. Um, so if it's too high or the person that is uh, doing your assessment or your health history believes that, <coughs> excuse me, believes that it's unsafe for you to donate at that time, they will not let you proceed. But do not let the history of having high blood pressure discourage you from um, being willing to go and donate if you can. So myth number eight, you can only, I'm sorry, myth number, yeah, myth number eight, um, if you donate blood, you will have an infection. Again, we talked about how the techniques of drawing the blood um, is done in such a way that you will not be exposed to bloodborne pathogens or bloodborne diseases or viruses in the donating process. And again, if you are receiving the blood, again, it is screened at that point. Um, number nine is you can only give blood once a year. That is also not true. Once cells have been replenished, which takes roughly up to eight weeks for your body to um, try to, you know, generate more red blood cells and get back to what your baseline is you can donate blood after that point. Um, so we say that, uh, or the American Red Cross says that, or advises that people can give blood every 60 days, 56 to 60 days. Um, and that is a safe, you know, cutoff. So we not, we don't want you trying to donate every two weeks. We do want you to give your body an opportunity to rebound um, and generate your baseline prior to you having another blood donation. But whatever um is on your heart in terms of how many times a year you want to donate just make sure that it's kind of like an every 60 day period type of setup but again we will um during that health history and assessment they will check your blood count to make sure that it's safe for you to donate to begin with okay and myth number 10 um this is not even a myth it's just one thing i want to encourage you got you all to do is even if you have um if you have a concern about whether or not you or someone you love can donate you want to speak to your health care provider if you have a primary care provider or um, some type of provider in your health care that you trust, that you want to know, is there something that could be possibly going on with you that prohibits you from donating blood? You want to have those conversations. Um, if you don't have a healthcare provider, again, I strongly encourage you to have one, but maybe you're just driving past and you see that someone is hosting maybe a blood drive and you're interested in donating. I do encourage you to go in, uh, have the conversations um, if you want to know whether or not you qualify to donate blood, that would be the perfect time to do so. Or call your local uh, blood donation center like your Red Crosses. I know here in Florida, ours is called One Blood. Um, so any blood donation centers that you are aware of, if you have any concerns or questions regarding it, I do want to encourage you to at least have the conversation before just writing yourself off um, a, like sorry, writing yourself off that you cannot donate. There's a strong possibility that you can. And again, the world is in dire need of blood transfusions. I'm sorry, blood donations. Um, so with that being said, that's going to wrap up this episode for us on today. Again, I want to encourage you to follow me, <coughs> excuse me, on all social media platforms um, at your neighborhood DNP. That's U-R-N-E-I. G-H-B-O-R-H-O-O-D 
DMP on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Um, and on those platforms, if you have any topics or questions that you want to discuss, feel free to send me a message or a DM. Also, you can send me questions or topics directly to the email account, which is also your neighborhood DMP at gmail.com. Again, that's your neighborhood DMP at gmail.com. Um, if you have any further questions regarding blood donations or blood donation centers or myths, I will be putting um, different links that you can click in the show notes so that you can um, take a look at some reputable resources to answer any questions that you may have. But feel free to email me or DM me on the social media platforms and I'll answer all questions that I can as it pertains to this topic and any other topics that you guys may want to hear about in the future. Thank you so much for tuning in and I'll see you guys or uh, talk to you guys next week uh, for your weekly neighborhood watch meeting. Have a blessed day.